Let's Go Tokyo with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings. Hello and welcome to Let's Go Tokyo, a podcast totally dedicated to the Olympic Games. I'm Ben O'Shea and I'm joined by Mark Reddings. It's July 23, day zero of the Olympics, and tonight all eyes will be on the opening ceremony. All from home though, because no spectators are allowed. International spectators were banned from the Games months ago, and just over a week before the opening ceremony, Japan entered a state of emergency, and local fans were banned as well. Still, there's a lot to be excited about, isn't there, Ski? It's going to be fascinating, almost... Uh, from afar at looking at how the Japanese put on this show because as we know the fans make so many uh, events be it Olympic opening or closing ceremonies and tonight will be no different how they shoot this how they uh, manage to create an atmosphere and of course the athletes when they walk into the arena how they can react you can't wave and (laughs) and smile and, and cheer to each other because there's no one in the stands that's going to be fascinating they're wearing masks as well it's going to be fascinating just on that front alone but uh, there's a lot to look forward to and and as we know um, Ben with regards to the Japanese and their culture and you're right across that and you're a a massive fan of it they will be absolutely on top of this they will produce something quite spectacular given the parameters they've been given yeah like I look at uh, what we saw in uh, South Korea at the Winter Olympics it was a very technologically focused uh, opening ceremony wowed the world with their technological uh, technological wizardry that's what I'm expecting now Japanese culture is so interesting it's got many facets how they integrate those facets will tell the story of this ceremony you've got the ancient culture uh, that has been around thousands of years we know you know the samurai uh, the Buddhism, the temples. It's a big part of why people go to Japan. This incredible beauty, Zen uh, element to their culture. Then you've also got this flip side, which is this ultra uber technology society, one of the most advanced civilizations on the planet. Uh, so you've got that as well, how they integrate you know, all the big brands, the Toyotas, the Sonys, all of those huge manufacturers that uh, are just synonymous with Japanese culture. And then you've got pop culture, which is a massive, massive part of Japan. And this T-shirt that I'm wearing today is uh, a band, Carmen Joshi, a K-pop group. There's 17 of them on stage at one time. They, A group of uh, women play speed metal wearing plastic uh, ice hockey masks. Uh, their culture it can also be really quite strange. You've got anime, you've got manga uh, that everybody knows is so Japanese. How do they incorporate that? Well... Just to go off the bat, I'm firstly concerned about your musical taste, just as a, <laughs> as, a, as, a as a local, very uh, old school f- t- type of guy. Uh, but yeah, fascinating. So 17 girls in that band, correct? Yeah, on stage at one time. It's a Japanese idol band, there's, and there, there is dozens of these type of acts. Uh, and so their culture is, is so disparate. There's so many different elements of it to bring in. And already from the glimpses we've seen, the, some of the classic iconic Japanese things, like the, the lanterns that you see hanging out the front of temples and restaurants, that's going to be a part of it. Uh, the drumming, I'm sure, will be a part of it. Uh, there'll be elements of religion, elements of the history of the culture. I couldn't see them doing it without samurai in there as well. I will go back to my own experience with a female group slash band at Olympics. It was a closing ceremony of 2012. I'll let you guess who the all-female group was that performed. And we were sitting there at the closing ceremony and they strutted their stuff uh, the Spice Girls. I was going to say, the Spice, Spice Girls, Girls at London. So I've seen the Spice Girls in concert, albeit at the closing ceremony. So vastly different to what was eight, nine years ago. But you're right, it's going to be, uh, as you mentioned so thoroughly, the, the culture and the technology that the Japanese bring to the table. Also, of course, highly 
sought after is the name, the person who's going to light the Olympic well, this flame. Is the, this is the most hotly anticipated element of any opening ceremony, how they light the flame and who is the one who does it. What do you reckon? Well, there's a couple of contenders. And Naomi Osaka has been mentioned in dispatches along the way, given her great exploits in tennis. But the hot favourite, I think this gentleman will get the job done tonight at some point. Uh, the 2021 Masters champion in golf, uh, Hideki Matsuyama, who just became the biggest name in Japanese sport overnight with that performance, the first, of course, to win a Masters and a, a, a major event in the world of golf. It was extraordinary what he did. And I have a, a little prediction. I've got some contacts over there in Tokyo that he will get a pitching wedge from the middle or thereabouts of the field and chip the ball into a cauldron which will explode and light into Will flames. the ball be on fire? It'll do everything. <laughs> and if you believe that, then uh, you're very easily got on a Friday morning. <laughs> oh, you know, I reckon that would be incredible. Probably lucky there's no spectators in the crowds in case he shanks it. But that would be amazing. Like, I think back to Barcelona and, you know, the, the, bow, and, the bow and arrow lighting the cauldron, Muhammad Ali uh, in, in Atlanta, and uh, and Kathy Freeman, which, you know, there's a bit of a hiccup there lighting that cauldron in Sydney in 2000. But but what a moment. A- absolutely. And uh, we're chatting shortly to Emma George, who, who has a rich history. History and Olympic and, of course, opening and closing ceremonies. Just qu- quickly going back to the Athletes' Oath, of course, so going back to 2000, Rochelle Hawkes, um, hockey great with the Hockey Roos, three-time Olympic gold medalist, she read the Olympic Oath. And when I was with her in London, we sat down at a pub and, and we're having a couple of laughs. And I said, hey, Reid, do you remember reading the Athletes' Oath all those years ago in 2000? And she goes, no, you know what? I do. I'll recite it for you. And so there's a group of us, and it might have been Andrew Gaze and a few of the commentators sitting around, and she verbatim read it word for word with a hand on her heart. She had a couple of champagnes, mind you, but she did it superbly, and it just summed up what it meant to her, the adrenaline, the nerves. She was far more anxious about reading that than she was, of course, about jumping on the pitch in a couple of days afterwards to represent the Hockey Roos. It was a massive moment for all those reasons I, I mentioned. Yeah, and it'll be a massive moment uh, for, for Australia to walk out in the opening ceremony. Not many athletes? No. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how many do get the opportunity and who want to because they know that the their events begin very quickly. Uh, the swimmers, of course, highly unlikely you'll get a big group of them swimming, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, there'll be certain sports and uh, some will have reasons uh, with regards to the heat and being on their feet for a certain amount of time. But yeah, don't expect to see the full contingent of Australians or in fact of any country tonight. There could be a COVID element in that, but also the upcoming events they're about to partake in. Yeah, well, let's talk COVID quickly. And I think the one thing that we have to acknowledge about this game is COVID is going to be a part of it. We can't avoid that and we certainly can't ignore it. And it will certainly be part of our coverage. And a couple of things to note here. So yesterday, Tokyo reported nearly 2,000 new COVID cases. That's the most they've had in six months. And organisers have actually issued a stern warning for the visiting international media after reports emerged that maybe a couple of those media members were not sticking to the rules and going out and about, putting some of the community at the risk. So so the organisers have said, if you, if you don't follow the rules, you're going to get booted. And a story emerging even before the games a few days ago, a Scottish BBC, I think, um, journalist, and maybe his crew as well, they arrived with some athletes. There was a positive test on the flight. The athletes were given the all-clear to continue. They will miss the games effectively by being quarantined for 14 days. So I'm sure these stories, we talk about these games are missing so much, but from a a story perspective, from uh, headlines, it'll be screaming out, I think, every day something new, unfortunately not always positive, given what uh, the COVID uh, pandemic is doing. But yeah, you're right. There'll be a lot of 
fascinating and obstacles to come for not just the athletes but uh, those covering the events and I know a lot of journalists at the end of a hard day just like to get together and have a, a little a, a refreshment <laughs> they might like to have a, a sake beverage. or an asahi just at the local pub but, but they won't be able to <laughs> exactly these are the times Aussies in action well, Australia should feel on top of the world at the moment with an impressive start to the Olympic Games. First, with the Matildas' win over New Zealand, then the sweetener of being named host for the 2032 Games. Then last night, the Aussies recorded wins in softball and men's football. You watched the soccer last night? Yes, watched some of it, and what a victory over Argentina. Oh. Now, they're a powerhouse, albeit it's under 23s, and we put that into perspective. That was a massive win. And Graham Arnold, the coach of the Olly Roos, has long said this team will shock the world in Tokyo. Well, they've already created alarm bells for their opposition by beating Argentina 2-0. Uh, fantastic performance, a controversial red card for the uh, Argentinians in the first half. That being said, you can only beat and you can only go ahead and do what you have to do, and that's exactly what the Aussies did. So it's a massive fill-up, not just for the footballers, because off the back of the Matildas, for the whole Olympic uh, squad, because they now hear that the athletes and the, the footballers are doing well that becomes infectious, dare I say. Yeah, well, you look in previous Olympics, the last couple, we've probably lived down to our underdog status, whereas previous, you know, previously we're so used to, as Aussies, kind of excelling as the underdog, sort of showing the, the bigger countries that, hang on a minute, you'd have to take us seriously. I think this result over Argentina, who, yeah, they're highly fancied. To, to knock them off 2-0 with goals from Lachlan Wales and Marco Tilio, a, a cracking goal as well, uh, It just I just think sends a message to the rest of the Aussies over there that, you know what, we are here, we're in with a chance, no matter what sport we're playing, look out for us. And bear in mind, this was the Oli Roos' first Olympic match since 2008, and for Argentina, they've been terrific, successfully at Olympic Games, uh, one gold in 204 and 208, our best placing at Olympic Games, fourth in 1992. We're not on the podium yet, but pretty handy start for our Oli Roos, and congratulations to them. Yeah, much better to have that win on the board than not. And just you can just ask the Australian softball girls. Uh, they came out and made up for that, atoned for that loss to the host nation. Tough, tough fixture first up, and they got an 8-1 drubbing, really, from Japan, but they bounced back against Italy. They did indeed. Just going back to that first match, this shows you we're learning uh, about Olympic sports and what happens. There's a mercy rule in um, in softball, which I didn't know about. Uh, did you, were you no, across no. So, so effectively, it's like you're 12 goals up in the last quarter of a game of footy and the mercy rule is applied. I think uh, the Eagles were looking for that a few <laughs> weeks ago, I think. Yes, but we're sticking to Olympics here. I didn't realise that was the case with softball, so you do learn, as much as we follow our sport yeah. religiously, that is uh, part of these Olympics, which I find a little bit strange. It's, it's the beauty of the Olympics, though, isn't it? That you, you, you learn the intricacies of the rules and the techniques involved in all of these sports that you probably only watch once every four years. I love it. Absolutely. And so well done to our softballers. Pretty tough to get back on your bike after you've been thumped 8-1, but they did really well. Uh, their one win, one loss, and their campaign is back on track. Yeah, well, now let's have a look at what other Aussies will be in action today on day zero of the Games. And uh, so we've got archeries happening at the moment in Tokyo. West Aussie Alice Ingley, uh, who sits 57th in the world, which is certainly uh, nothing to be ashamed of. She, was, uh, she went to Rio. She finished 17th at those games, which is a great effort. At 28 years old, she's going to be doing her best to uh, to finish on the podium, certainly finish as high as she can. Well, if you say that she's, what, ranked 58th in the world and she achieved a 17th position, you're right. Yep. Any, anything inside that top 20 is a magnificent achievement. And just going back to what all of these athletes have had to go through, just it's how they handle the mental side of it as much as the physical, given that Tokyo and the heat and the humidity, it's about how they handle the, those ordinary uh, preparations that they do which can't be applied 
as part of these Olympics, how they can adjust to being flexible, agile and just being in the moment and forgetting about what they haven't got or can't do as opposed to what they are out there to do. Exactly. And on the day, anyone can win. We've got plenty of Australian men involved in the archery as well. David Barnes, Ryan Tyak, Taylor Worth uh, are all competing today. So it's great to see them in action. Rowing as well has kicked off this morning in Tokyo. Yep, absolutely. And uh, uh, a couple of West Aussies involved in that as well. So that will be... Uh, rowing's always a great sport to watch as well. And the Aussies got a pretty good success rate in rowing, at least getting medals and some gold there would be part of their uh, crystal balling, I guess, for yeah, the next few days. You want to pick days. up some medals in rowing, I reckon, if you're Australia. Uh, Amanda Bateman and Tara Rigney was performing performed this morning in the double skulls in Heat 3. Uh, they came third in that. We can just now report. Uh, Netherlands came first. Uh, the quadruple skulls coming up as well with Rhea Thompson, uh, Caitlin Cronin, Rowena Meredith and Harriet Hudson. Uh, the men's also kick off this morning. We can report that the men's, uh, the Australian men's have finished second in the quadruple skulls. So, pretty good. Absolutely. Really promising start. And that's that's what you need to do. Get, get your team away to a, a solid start. Get yourself uh, in a qualifying position, essentially, to, to get rolling. And once you make the final, there becomes opportunities. Yeah, and like have a listen to what's coming up tomorrow. So this Olympics is coming out of the gate pretty hard, I have to say. And for people who are maybe thinking, oh, I'm not quite getting into these Olympics yet, like as of tomorrow, I reckon that all changes. Listen to the list of sports we've got coming up. So we've got three-on-three basketball, new to the Olympics, and that's one that I'm particularly interested to see how it's going to go. Uh, Archery is continuing, uh, a medal event possibly involving Australia. We've got artistic swimming. We've got badminton. Uh, The Aussies are back in action in softball as well as baseball. Beach volleyball, always very popular. Uh, Boxing, equestrian, fencing, the medal event for that sport is coming up. That's great. Uh, In the football, we'll see the Matildas back in action playing Sweden at 4.30 tomorrow afternoon. Yes, uh, big win for them. By the way, just going back to the uh, the football with the, the women, the U.S., beaten for the first time yeah. in 44 oh, matches. What a, that's what a, a shocker. That's, that's a big result given the Miltildas are in the same group yeah. as them. So uh, a little bit frightening they've lost a match already, uh, but it will just give the Matildas just a little bit of hope that they can do some damage over there. Well, if the Matildas can knock off Sweden, uh, you'd have to think that they're in the box seat to win that group. Yeah, that's... All being said and done, it has to be has to be done achieved. Yeah, so, it has yeah. to be achieved. Uh, we've got the hockey kicking off tomorrow. In the men's, uh, we'll play the host nation tomorrow morning, eight yeah, thirty. We're number one ranked world, number one in the world, ranked in the the uh, men's, the Kookaburras, and of course the hockey roos heading over there. I think ranked number four. We spoke to Georgia Wilson, a late call up. What a story she has been, albeit uh, difficult circumstances for Penny Squibb, but Georgia gets her chance. And this is, this is the team that I'm most fascinated about looking at, just in brief. The hockey roos, how they respond to the so-called toxic the culture and what's happened with their coaching setup. And we know that there's been changes, but how they respond as a group will be telling over the next two weeks. Yeah, they seem to be a pretty happy squad at the moment. Uh, shooting, uh, there's a medal event happening tomorrow. Australia traditionally done pretty well. In the shooting. Yeah, I always think of Russell Mark and those sorts of guys. You, you hear them on the commentary and you know that they've been there and done that. So, uh, yes, that again is one of those events you, you look at during the next week and a half of Olympics and you, you're fascinated about the scoring system and the poise and all those attributes that go into making a, a gold medalist in shooting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the women's water polo underway, Australia versus Canada, 2.30 tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, I love the underwater shots as well because they do get very physical, the men and the women. They belt each other from pillar to post. Uh, let's hope the Aussies can get away to a fly against the Canadians. And how are you feeling about the Boomers? They take on Nigeria uh, on Sunday, 4.20. Well, the Nigerians... 
knocked over the Americans. Yeah. The Australians knocked over the Americans. <laughs> no, I know, so, right? So who knows? How do, you, how do you draw a line over that form? Uh, well, all I can say is off the back of uh, Ben Simmons not going, Liz Cambage, of course, similarly with the Opals, there was issues there. So I just hope it's a United side. I'm pretty sure it is. And the Australians, look, the Americans still going to be extremely tough to beat. But the Aussies, uh, their pre-tournament form has been good enough to suggest they'll be right in the mix for their first ever medal. Yeah, and the uh, Australian Ollie Roos, the Kingslayers, playing Spain on Sunday. Yes, let's just hope we don't have a letdown after knocking over the Argentinians. <laughs> no. But that's that's a fantastic result. Graham Arnold, very experienced coach, and I'm sure he will get the under-23s, their mind back on the job of getting a result when it counts second up against the Spanish. Now, we've got a very special guest coming up. I'll just quickly run through some of the other sports that we'll see over the weekend, just for the folks at home. There's also going to be judo, sailing, uh, skateboarding, New yep. entry to Tokyo. Surfing, new entry to Tokyo. You're going to be following the surfing? Uh, the surfing I'll have a look at. The skateboarding, um, I've got to be positive here. I don't know a lot about skateboarding, to be honest. Didn't have one as a kid. Didn't uh, ever dream of being a skateboarder <laughs> for Australia. So maybe you... Uh, Benny might have had a slightly different slant on things. Oh, look, I was a terrible skateboarder. Uh, I think I probably knocked out a few teeth and gave it up after that. But I've got a mate who's uh, a surfing tragic, uh, and he's he's on the fence about surfing as an Olympic sport. Uh, he's not convinced that Tokyo's got the uh, got the waves for this time of year. But, you know, I reckon it's going to be fascinating. I think a lot of people out there, the casual uh, sporting watcher, is going to love it. i tell you what, it might have the waves because I heard a report coming in here that there's a typhoon brewing off the coast. That will change uh, the uh, elements for well, the surfers. Typhoon season, right? So, and, and wouldn't that just be the wouldn't that just be the last thing the organisers need with COVID, everything else? Oh my goodness! WA's elite athletes on the podium. Joining us now is one of WA's sporting champions and a household name at the 2000 Olympics. She set 12 world records in a row in the late 90s and is a true champion. Welcome, pole vaulter Emma George. Thank you. It is so great to have you in the studio. How, do, how does it feel when Olympics is on the horizon and now it arrives? Does it just throw up all of those memories? It does. I think the more time you have in retirement, the more excited you get about another Olympics. After Sydney, I had two lots of back surgery and I really wanted to compete in Athens and I wasn't able to do so. So I think that next Olympics after you retire, you almost don't want to watch it because it still feels so raw. But now with the Olympics coming, I've just been counting down. Can't can't wait for it to start. That being said, Emma, you talk about Sydney and the hype, the crowds, everything that was normal back in mm. 2000. It's going to be so different this time. Would you be, if you transplant yourself 20 years down the track, how daunting would it be to go to Tokyo under the circumstances these athletes are? Yes, it's, it's going to be a, a totally different Olympics. And I think for Australians, yeah, athletes, if they had a choice, could you go to Sydney or could you go to Tokyo? Most would jump and go, yes, yeah, Sydney. It was unbelievable. Like you were in the stadium when Cathy Freeman won her 400 metres. Nothing like it. You know, the, the scream of the crowd was just incredible. But for these athletes... They're the best at their game in the world. So they want to compete at an Olympic Games. And for them to have it taken away last year and then given back to them again this year and all that uncertainty. So despite there being no crowds, they still get to compete. They still get to represent their country, wear the green and gold. So I think it is going to be different, but it's um, still going to be immensely proud for all those athletes. And it's going to be a remember when that Games that nearly didn't happen and there were no crowds. This is going to be a history-making Olympics. And I think what we forget as outsiders is that, yeah, there's a bit of antipathy, antipathy towards it at the moment, uh, no crowds and all the negatives, but 
if you're on the other side of the fence, you've worked, as it now turns out, five years to get to this point. And I think we need to keep that in mind when we, we talk about these games, that this has been the most emotional roller coaster that any athlete uh, has gone through in Olympic history. Absolutely. And think about the training, all the shutdowns and some of the stories we were hearing about swimmers training in their own dam in the backyard and, you know, athletes grabbing weights out of the weights room before lockdown so they could take them home. So all these stories, all these extra hard work, you know, there may not be people in the crowds, but it's different now to what it used to be 20 years ago with all the cameras and social media and all the channels we can watch it. So you'll see, I think, a lot more interaction with cameras and athletes, you know, beaming all that energy sort of back to everyone watching in the world. Well, let's talk about the training because I think doing a backyard pole vaulting would be a bit dangerous <laughs> for, your, for your health. But mm. elite athletes, you know, they're sort of habitual creatures and they get used to training programs. They get used to a calendar of events. You've got the Worlds, you've got different internet, the Grand Prix in Europe, whatever it might be, and you bank on tapering your training programs to peak at the right time. How much has all of that impacted, do you think, when the Olympics is called off, it's pushed back a year, you don't get to have any international competition? Like, what is going through the minds of the athletes and how do they prepare? It's it's just something else, isn't it? You've got athletes that haven't competed for a year and a half and they're lining up at the Olympic Games, you know, for their first competition. But they've been training, you know, you look at some of the rowing squads and the teams have been training together and trying to do a few friendlies. But it's going to be like that. I think there's been some more competition over in Europe and things. So for Australians that had a a lockdown and weren't able to compete and a lot of other countries, it will be challenging. But athletes, you're right, are creatures of a habit. We are used to training at this certain time and everything is mapped out. So I think athletes would have had to been just a lot more flexible and even that challenge of training not knowing if the olympics are still going ahead and what about some of the athletes now that the best in the world and they've tested positive to covid Mm. and now they're out you know so it's a real privilege for these athletes who are going to make it there whether they've had a, a competition whether they haven't that there's it's just a different set of challenges and you will find that in any competition the mental strength has to be really important just as much as the physical and i think these games it's going to even be you know those athletes that are just so mentally strong um, will do really well. Which begs the question, Australia's got such a terrific history with pole vaulting, yourself and Steve Hooker and, and Anina Kennedy and there's a, there's a host of Tatiana Gregoria. There's yeah. so many that how, how so? Yeah, why? That's a great question, Skeet. Well, I've we, wondered the same thing. We never used to be that strong. I'm always used to be sort of Eastern Bloc countries in America. And I think um, well, we had Simon Arkell and we had a few people like that, that and um, Jimmy Miller. But it comes down to training and facilities and um, I suppose exposure as well. So the more people that saw people pole vaulting, and I know when I started there weren't a lot of girls pole vaulting, and now we've got more girls pole vaulting than males. So it's been great to see you know the emergence of the females but um yeah I think once we we'd started doing well other kids then looked at it and went yeah this is a sport I could do and it looks really fun and it is fun and now we've got basically the Australian training facility here in WA and for people that haven't seen the Institute of Sport um I'm coaching I get to coach down there now and indoors over winter it's pouring outside and they've got this wonderful mm indoor facility and at the Institute of Sport it's just it's some of the best in the world so put you on the spot here uh, Tokyo pole vault can you give us a couple of a couple of words of wisdom with regards to what we might do 
well, who knows? And that's what I said to the girls last night. I said, you know, you're going to be sort of 27. That's a great age. You know, it's such a good motivator. I remember when a, Sydney was announced at having the Olympic Games that I was like, right, I am going. And at that stage, I was probably going to do hurdles or, or jumps. And then um, I saw the pole vault and just fell in love. So transitioned into that. So for all these athletes out there now, and I was even speaking to my children and one's a rower. So he's like, yes, I'm going to train for rower. And for rowing and I've got an eight-year-old I said what are you going to do Bales maybe I don't know how it works with the teams I said do we get automatic team entry if we're the host (laughs) nations I'm going what about handball maybe you know I think all those kids out here now should be thinking what are we going to do this is a massive opportunity to go and represent your country at Olympic Games I'm glad you pointed out handball because I've often thought that's a sport that Australia should dominate at we're so good at all the throwing and athletic uh, team sports but handball we get hammered by the Europeans It's it's crazy to me I always thought Aussie rules would be a great sport because we would be <laughs> yeah. we're winning gold after gold after gold and there'd be very little competition. Well, Exhibition yeah. sport Ex- for Brisbane. Lock it, lock hey, it in. Bear, bear in mind, going back to 1982 at the Commonwealth Games in Brisbane, exhibition sport was? Australian rules football. Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. But, history, uh, history could repeat. But Emma, I'm, cu- I'm curious to know, so when you're first starting out at pole vault, to me, like if you think about it, Skeet, someone puts a pole in your hand and says, sprint, sprint <laughs> in one direction, <laughs> try and stick the pole mm. in that little hole and good luck trying to flick yourself over the mat uh, without breaking mm. your neck. And I think sometimes that's what the decathletes have to do. I mean, they have to train for 10 yeah. events and when I watch them vault, I almost like close my yeah. eyes going, no. And they use a soft pole because um, you have to have your technique right and if you get it right with a really soft pole you can break it and things but you don't start on a full approach and just start jumping you actually only start at about two steps and then slowly work your way back and uh, it's terrifying to me (laughs) it is sometimes it's terrifying as well when you're standing on the end of the runway and it might be windy and you're going you look in the height of the bar it's like like you it's insane the two sections of your brain one brain going oh hang on you know you could miss this and end up on the ground the other bit going don't listen to that one you're fine just do what you got to do we're speaking to pole vaulting great Emma George on Let's Go Tokyo. Emma, there is the opening ceremony tonight as an athlete or former athlete as you are now. Uh, Do you get disappointed if you don't take part in that? Obviously you want to be ready for your event. What's the balancing act? It's really tricky and um, with Sydney I would have loved to have gone to the opening ceremony and in hindsight I regret that I didn't go. We stayed here and trained in Perth and then flew over later. So we weren't even in the village. And that was a decision that basically our coach made and said, no, you're to train here, then you go over. And I wish I had a bit bigger voice and said, you know what, this is part of the games. This is part of what I've trained for. And I remember watching, I was six and I watched the Moscow opening ceremony and it was then I said to my dad I'm going to go to Olympic Games I don't know what but I want to go to that you know and so I missed out on on walking in the ceremony and if I had have had my time again I wanted to do another Olympics I would have definitely gone is that part of the experience part of a bit like we talk about in footy again yeah. not not attending the grand final parade in Melbourne it's it's isn't that part of what the week's about it, well it is part of it but then isn't the other part performing to of the course. best of your absolute ability so you make so many sacrifices as an athlete. So if I sacrifice that opening ceremony and it helps me do better in my performance, then that's what any athlete will do. And again, you've got athletes coming up that are competing the next day. And you're not talking about just the time of the opening ceremony. You're talking about Mm. lining up, standing on your feet. So it's an eight to 10 hour day of standing. Good point. And if you've got to be up at say five, six o'clock the next day and compete, you will not be at your best. So there'll be a lot of athletes that even if everybody had the choice to to walk, um, 
there would be a lot that wouldn't be marching anyway, particularly for those that have their events early on. Yeah, see, we come at this from a media perspective. So we spend our Olympics, you know, sort of sitting on our butts and we just look forward to the piss up at the end. <laughs> that's not true. I know. I know you have to work Hang on a sec. Let me, let me adjust that. Not at the end. That's after every day of work. And we do, Emma and I on the Gold Coast. It was quite a yeah. therapeutic way to get over the uh, uh, the events that have just come and gone. So, yeah, okay, I do get that. It's, it's, mm. it, but it, there's a, a bittersweet part of that because that's a moment in time that you'll yeah. never get back. But then I suppose I got to go to the closing ceremony and maybe that's why they have a closing because that's where every athlete can actually go and let their hair down and um, and it really is a party. I mean, Sydney was a great party. All the bands play and all the athletes are out there together enjoying their time. So um, we'll wait and see what happens at the closing ceremony. Yeah, and who's, if there, who's, even, if if there even is one, one and what happens. So it'll be sad after all of the effort and training that goes into Olympics if the competitors don't get to enjoy that final moment to let their hair down. And now, you mentioned, you know, your athletics career ended after injury, a couple mm-hmm. of back surgeries. It's tough for anybody to go through. Mentally, how then do you adjust back to everyday life, to not, you know, going to your job and having thousands of people cheering for you? Is it tough? It's tough because you can't make the decision yourself. And I look at some athletes that get to retire um, at the top of their game and they've had enough, and I think that is awesome. But not many people get to do that. And um, and that's just part and parcel of being an athlete. But it is really tough. After Sydney Olympics, I had stress fractures in both feet. And so I was in a wheelchair after surgery on both ankles and reconstruction. So I went from being at the Olympics to the next week being in a wheelchair for, mm. you know, a month or to six weeks. And then I didn't jump as well as what I wanted to. So in some respects, you just sort of want to shut yourself away and then get ready for the for the next Olympics. And um, there's a, a lot of athletes that I suppose would like to. I was fortunate I got to, to do one because some athletes get just miss out on that Olympic Games, you know, they might just be second or, you know, in the hockey, just missed out in one place or, or get called up at last moment. So, um, but even being the journey, whether you make Olympic Games or you get to represent your country, hopefully um, each athlete can take something from that and um, still wear that with pride as they mm-hmm. go through life. But it is you, being an athlete, you have the massive highs and lows. You know, how these great highs of breaking world record and then the lows of being injured or missing out. And you don't get that. Normal life sort of just travels one 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 level. And, um, yeah, you do miss that about competing. I think that's why we love tuning into Olympics because we get to see that emotional roller coaster. There's a great saying can. in sport for uh, every lick of the ice cream. There's nine kicks up the backside. It, it, it just sounds so apt, isn't it, given what Emma just yeah. said? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And now we're going to let you go, Emma, but before we do, I want to find out what are you most looking forward to see at the Olympics? Like oh, pole vaulting, obviously, yeah. that's a no-brainer, but other track and field, other events at the Olympics, what do you really love? And tell us, how do you think the Aussie team is going to go? Can you give us a prediction of the medal tally? Oh, gosh. Let's go 10-plus golds oh, yeah. oh, at least. Oh, I like yeah, it. I think, I think we're going to do really well. I think Australians do well in adversity. We just get on with it, and the athletes are going to be so happy to be over there. We've got some really high-ranked athletes, you know, in, in multiple sports, and I'm just pleased that we're going to be able to watch so many different channels. Like, I was so excited. How many have we got? 42 or 43? Uh, or s- a lot more than we get. we're going to get medals, I reckon. Uh, there's that many. <laughs> uh, and by the way, speaking of medals, there has been a predictor put out, and this is, we can say this now, prior to any uh, events being decided, Australia down the 16 gold medals. Now, 
if they get 16, we're going to take that as gospel. If they get three or four, we're going to throw that information out, out and uh, never use it again. But I think you're on the mark there, oh, yeah. Emma. Hopefully, we're going to be a dozen plus, somewhere between 10, 15, 20. You know what? Whatever happens, yeah. you know that they're going to give it their absolute utmost. And let's hope that some of the athletes can go out there. And even if they don't win a medal do some personal bests and have some really good performances and it's such a great reward to be able to go there and compete after what everyone's been through and I think even for all of us at home to be able to watch something where the world can unite again is going to be really special. Yeah, well uh, pole vaulting champion, all round legend Olympian, Emma George thanks for being on Let's Go Tokyo. It's a pleasure, it was fun. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Ben O'Shea with Mark Reddings. Join us again on Monday when we take you through the opening weekend of the Tokyo Games. Are you pumped, Skeet? I'm absolutely pumped. I've just got to make sure. The time zone. Thank you, Lord, for giving <laughs> us this time zone. We don't have to start till all hours of the night to watch our favourite sports, and uh, I know we'll all be doing it on uh, the screens of seven. Yeah, fantastic. And you can find Let's Go Tokyo wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to Let's Go Tokyo by The West Live with Ben O'Shea and Mark Reddings.